Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm scared. <laughs> hey, John, how are you today? I'm okay. <laughs> Who are you? What have you done with Jason? Uh, that was my weird clown persona there. Yeah, please never. Do, let's never do that again. <laughs> it was the face, wasn't it? Freaked you out. I should probably take all this makeup off. <laughs> yes. Yes, you really should. What's going on? What's new? What's the question of the month? Not much is new. Hey, the question of the month. <laughs> let's get right <laughs> down to no, it. No transition skills anymore, do we? Something sure we have to we work do. on. Yeah, we'll get right on that. What is right after we stop talking over each other. <laughs> right. When will that happen? I don't know. This is oh, episode one. What is your biggest pet peeve? Slow people. Slow at like walking, driving, yes, ordering things. Oh my gosh, yes, I'm with you. And though I wouldn't necessarily say it's slow people so much as people that have no no awareness of what's going on around them. Mm. You know, like I don't mind if you're slow if you get out of my way and let me go past you. What I don't like is if you're slow and you're walking four abreast down a hallway. Yeah, there's certain levels of it. There's also the uh, I feel like I'm the most important person in the world. Slow. Yeah. There's the I'm looking at my cell phone and don't care slow. There's, yeah. yeah, there's levels of it, but it's all the same thing. And you're right. People that are in a, in a line, you're in a long line waiting to order food and they get up there and they don't know what they want. You're like, you just waited 15 minutes. How could you not figure out what you wanted? So that when you got up there, you can order and move on. But yeah, no, that's a good pet peeve. I don't all think right. I have a better one. Okay. What are theirs? Roger Stearns is self-appointed arbiters of style, taste, or morality. That's everybody. Al Milgram's... <laughs> Obviously, the internet hasn't been invented yet at this time. <laughs> How true. Al Milgram is editors who constantly demand work on time. I think that's probably specific. It's really specific. Yeah, there is. Joe Sinnott says... <laughs> no, Mark Greenwald says Al Milgram. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Sinnott says, do you want them alphabetically? You know, I can get behind Joe Sinnott sometimes. He sounds like a grump. That's good. Jim Novak says, excessive humidity and poor paper surfaces. I get the excessive humidity, but I don't know what a poor paper surface is. What is he the colorer? No, he's the letterer. Christy Shield says, uh, "Here we go." Nuclear arms, oh, which Jesus isn't really Christ. a pet peeve. It's like you know, I don't. Know, what is your biggest pet peeve? People that are trying to shoot me with those guns. <laughs> that seems like it's a little bit higher than a pet peeve in my mind. Uh, Mike Carlin's is Fido. I don't uh, know. Mark Grunwald is rude, obnoxious smells. I mean, I guess. I'm, I'm a little concerned who's in your office. Is that Mike Carlin, I guess? <laughs> That's Al Milgram when he doesn't meet a deadline. Uh, and Jim Shooters is New York taxis and taxes. I don't really think that. I mean, taxis, I guess. Could be a pet peeve for someone, but taxes, I don't know. I mean, that's just... Pet peeves usually like a little thing that, you know, something yeah. could be different about. I mean, taxes are taxes. Ta- what taxes are taxes, yeah. Taxes are ta- taxes and taxes, taxes, taxes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we were able to discuss this with our normal... Uh, Intelligence. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Right on top of that. Previously on the Avenging Hour, most of our heroes blinked out of existence in order to go fight the secret wars. While they were gone, Vision began crafting his plans for planetary domination, <laughs> which apparently includes starting a West Coast branch of the team. And now... Now, episode number 110. We're going to start today with Avengers number 244. This is from June of 1984. So jump in H.G. Wells' time machine and come back with me. This is by Roger Stern, penciled by Al Milgram and Carmine Infantino. Oh, we are in for a treat. So excited. It is called And the Rocket's Red Glare. Carmine Infantino (laughs) helped to pencil this issue. I'm already hoping for some crazy visuals, like a Muppet Marlon Brando, rain heavy enough you could drown in it, or foggy panels in one predominant color with only silhouettes of our main characters. Could we be that lucky? Mm. Judging from the first page, no, no we couldn't. It looks to be a normal day on the Banana River in Florida near John F. Kennedy Space Center, as we see Captain Marvel zooming down to a yacht full of incognito Avengers. 
Captain America greets the energied Avenger, who had apparently been scouting the nearby space center and had found nothing out of the ordinary. After a quick plug for the Secret War series, we've got a lot of copies to sell, the two of them go below, where they find the rest of the team, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Wasp, and Star Fox, ready to get on with the mission briefing. The Vision explains that the team has been asked to check out the space center by the military. There have been a number of unusual accidents there recently, and the brass suspect that they have been caused by some evil aliens called Dire Wraiths. But before the briefing can go further, there's an explosion at the space center. The Avengers leave the yacht and spring into action. <laughs> Some of them deal with a falling rocket booster, while the others deal with the apparent perpetrators. A group of humans in green jumpsuits and backpacks calling themselves Rocketeers. Does Dave Stevens know his character's name has been stolen? Anyway, they also help some of the injured personnel. The Avengers quickly gather up all the baddies, but before they have an opportunity to question them, a nearby mystery creature creates some sort of fog that blinds the team and fogs their mental processes, giving the Rocketeers the chance to escape. The Vision is frustrated that on his first mission as leader, the enemies escaped, showing us that he doesn't read the comic in which he stars and has no self-awareness. Seems to me that this outcome shows him to be the perfect leader for this team. He also again mentions his mysterious plan, and while we think about what that might be, let's do a little scene change. LAX, one of the worst airports in the country, sorry Los Angeliners, is our setting. Hawkeye and Mockingbird have just flown across the country coach. Hawkeye is supposed to be the leader of this new team, and they wouldn't let him take a Quinjet? I swear, if I had the option of a Quinjet, I would rip out the Vision's heart and toss it in the Hudson before I'd fly across the country on a commercial airliner. <laughs> Hawkeye is already a clear failure as a leader. Anyway, the newlyweds are met by Bill Foster, who we haven't seen in these pages in a long, long time. He lives in L.A. and is going to try and give them a hand in finding a headquarters for the West Coast Avengers. I, for one, am thrilled to see progress on that subplot is being made. Now it's back to Florida, where the Avengers and a general are conferring with a very red-faced man named Dr. Woodrow Cather, the highest-ranking civilian scientist on the base. Civilian scientist. Does the army have a lot of enlisted scientists? Was that a possible MOS in the military? Anyway, the general and the vision brief the room on the dire wraith menace. It seems the race are a variant of the Scrolls. They're humanoid, but somewhat blob-like and ill-defined. Their most important and, frankly, most horror-movie elevator pitchiest ability is to drill through the back of a human's head with their tongue, suck out all of a person's memories, and assume that person's form, while the original human body crumbles to dust. The dire race employ advanced science. Or they did. It seems the scientist race have been mostly killed off and replaced with magic-using dire wraiths. Apparently, some of the science race had used the Rocketeer personas to take over a town in West Virginia a few years ago, so presumably they're behind the recent attack on the base, which is confusing if they're all supposed to be dead. Cather has been working on an ion drive project, and he's worried the race may target it. Fortunately, no one else cares what Cather thinks, although when the general declares he's going to call for more troops at the base, the Vision dramatically disagrees, smashing the general's desk and declaring that he's in charge and the Avengers will be the only additional troops. On that awkward note, let's check in with Quicksilver, who's been teleported by Lockjaw to Bova's cabin, hoping mm. she could be a nanny to his daughter. Here comes this storyline. Unfortunately, he finds her home destroyed. Even more unfortunately, the subplot continues to go nowhere. <laughs> Back to Florida. The Rocketeers are hanging out at a ski resort, I think, worried that the Sisterhood has noticed them and is using magic. It's clear that these are science race, and they have sciency devices to enable them to avoid the magic race detecting them in human form. This means their mission can continue. <laughs> Dawn, the next day. And the Avengers are scattered around the Cape, keeping an eye on the site. The flying Avengers are out and about, while the ground-bound team members hang out in Security Central, watching the various cameras. 
Suddenly, the Vision notices our quartet of aliens in their human guises. While the sorceress race might not have been able to see through the science wraith disguises, the Vision can. He sounds an alarm, and soon the team confronts the four. They are quickly captured, but what's this? Dr. Cather is also a wraith, and he's using this diversion to sneak aboard his ion drive rocket. Only the Wasp notices, and she quietly tags along. While the rest of the team is watching Wanda hex the race back into their natural forms, Cather activates his rocket and takes off. The four wraiths captured on Earth bewail their betrayal at Cather's uh, talons. They also say that they can tell from the exhaust the ship's fuel is unstable and it could explode at any time, which is a problem since the Wasp is stuck there with the wraith. To be continued. You are giving me an odd look. I, there's a lot of things I don't understand here. The roll call this issue is Captain America, Captain Marvel, The Vision, The Wasp, The Scarlet Witch, and Star Fox. We also see Hawkeye, Mockingbird, Bill Foster, and Quicksilver. And our villains are the Dire Wraiths. We should probably talk about the Dire Wraiths. Oh, please, let's do that. The Dire Wraiths first appeared in ROM number one back in December of 1979. Because that toy needed a bad guy. Yes, yeah, so ROM, as most people know, was a... Hasbro toy. Parker Brothers? Oh, wait, maybe they're a division of Hasbro. I don't... Anyway, it was a toy that was licensed to Marvel Comics, and that was the only thing. ROM was just a... It wasn't like... It was a toy. It was like a giant action figure that you like pushed a button on his back, and a ray came out of his hand, and you could put these different attachments in his hand, so they were supposed to be doing different things. But it was just a big robot plastic thing that you like ran around with in your backyard and pretended he was flying. Yeah, this is not this is not like the Micronauts or this is not G.I. Joe or the Transformers no, where you it, had it a, was not a line of toys, it was one thing. Yeah. So basically Parker Brothers came to Marvel and said, Write a comic about this toy. <laughs> it seems to be happening a lot with Marvel. And Marvel said, Okay, well we need more than one character in this comic. So they created an enemy for, for Rom, Space Knight, and those were the dire race. They didn't create it. Bill Mantlo did. <laughs> yes, well yes, Bill Mantlo wrote the entire run of Rom Space Knight. All, I think there was about 70 issues of it. Something like that, yeah. And basically, they give us their entire history in this issue. We don't learn all of this stuff at first. At first, we don't know anything about the Dire Race. And quite honestly, the first 10 to 20 issues of ROM, if it hadn't been drawn by um, Sal Basima or Steve Ditko, would have probably been really frightening. Because when you get right down to it, the Dire Race are a scary idea. This idea that these aliens can drill through the back of your skull with their tongue, suck out your memories, and then assume your form while your body crumbles to dust. Is, They're like the body snatchers. Yeah, pretty much. You know, that's that's it's more of a horror comic than a superhero comic. And Rom started out in a way like that, or more of a science fiction slash, well, slash horror I, band. I guess that's the part of the scroll that is ancestors of the scrolls or some other sort They're of... They're an offshoot. Yeah, some tribe of the scrolls. Yes, and we don't find that out until issue 50 of Rom. It was a really confusing explanation. So, so, but here's what's really important about the dire race. Oh, here's the important part. <laughs> they have been scourge of the cosmos for many, many millennium, I guess, and they attacked Rom's planet. And so his planet put him in this space knight armor to fight them. And so after, wait, he's a guy in there? Yeah, he's a guy. Wow. And after he manages to drive them away from his planet, he roams the universe trying to defeat them. Oh, that's one of the attachments that he has a toy. It's some sort of scanner that he can find people that are disguised. And then he has a neutralizer, mm -hmm. which, and this will actually be important in the Avengers eventually, the neutralizer doesn't kill the race, it banishes them to limbo. Sweet. And we will actually see them in an Avengers comic in the future in Limbo. Hanging out with Space Family. Tons of dire rates. The dire race, though, in the early issues of the comic were all science creatures. They were aliens. They were super smart. They had all this alien science. They were like scrolls. 
And somewhere around issue 50, when we find out that they were scrolls, we find out that the science race are the, ma- are the males, and there are actually not that many of them, and they're kind of incompetent. And the sisterhood, which is the, the, the female dire race, use magic instead of science, and they come to Earth and basically kill off all of the science-using race and take over. Are they the white ones, or are they the pink ones? I don't know. I don't remember. I think the pink ones are the guys. You may be right. So the point is, at this point in time in the Diorath saga, the these these few Diorath in this issue that we see, Dr. Cather and his friend, the Rocketeers, are science-using ones that just want to get the hell off the planet before the female Diorath kill them. There you go. That's the Diorath. <laughs> That's it. Great. Why are uh, we, we see Captain Marvel zoom down to the boat and... Uh... All the guys are in their costumes, and the women are all in swimsuits. Well, and Star Fox though, immediately takes off his shirt. Yeah, he takes his shirt off. And you talked and they're about trying to talk Captain Marvel into changing it into a swimsuit, and she's like, "Yeah, no." And you talked about how uncomfortable that Scarlet Witch looked last issue when he put his arm around her. I'd like to point out that he does the same thing to Captain Marvel. Now she doesn't look quite so creepy or creeped out, I should say. She but he's kind of perturbed. He immediately takes his clothes off and puts his arm behind her. Like, hey, yeah, it's very. Starfox is kind of creepy. I thought um, Captain America seemed a lot more leadery, these issues, even though Vision is chair. I felt like he wasn't this leadery with the Wasp, but this issue, he's barking on a lot of orders. He really is. He's trying to get them in like strategic positions, and then uh, and then they lose this first fight, and the guys get away, and Vision is like so angry. I love the scene in the general's office when the general's like, I'm going to call in some reinforcements, and the Vision's like, no, and he slams his desk, and the general just is like, my desk! Like, <laughs> and no one else makes any comment yeah. about it. They're all like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Vision's, <laughs> the Vision always beats up desks. I'm just, you can tell that he's newly the chairman because he is not yet accustomed to the Avengers losing the fight and letting the bad guys get away. Exactly. That's what I was saying in my recap. I mean, he, he should be very proud. He's carrying on a, a very uh, a, a storied tradition. <laughs> What's with uh, why they bring back token black guy Bill Foster? I think because he had he had moved out to L.A. for a while ago. For a while. Is that during his five-issue run of Black Goliath? Yes, where he was Black Goliath. And I think that they're like, do we have any characters on the West Coast? Daredevil's not out there anymore, is he? Well, we got <laughs> we got Bill Foster. Let's, what, what frustrates me is that Bill Foster is here to help them but never joins the west nope, coast avengers nothing to do with it he would have been perfect on that team yeah it made a lot more sense than some of the people they end up with yeah so anyway that's that's a, that's a that's a um a missed opportunity on their part we get to uh page 13 that guy's face that yeah. that's the part that infantino drew <laughs> <laughs> yeah is that you, the general his face looks no like that's, it's gonna, dr. that's dr Cather. looks like it's gonna explode well it's not the same person <laughs> as he is in these <laughs> panels also i think they may have been cut and pasted and used there that is bizarre uh yeah uh, I was a little disappointed when I saw that Carmine Infantino was drawing this issue. I expected craziness, and you really can't really tell he helped El Milgram no, that much. there's a couple little faces here and there. I'm like, mm, that looks strange. I like when General Bridges takes everybody into his office, and he wants to show them this film or whatever that he's showing, and he's like, he tells who, uh, he's like, uh, lights off, please, and then he like yells at somebody to turn the lights back on. I'm like, who is he yelling at? They're in his office. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's not in a big conference room. Who does he expect to turn the lights back on? <laughs> and we don't ever see anyone else in the office but him and the Avengers. Why are you yelling at us? We mentioned you mentioned that Wanda's hex powers start turning the the uh, wraiths back into wraiths. Yeah, and I'm getting really annoyed by her hex powers because they don't make any sense anymore. They have become just plot devices. It is just a, what do we need to have happen? We'll just make Scarlet Witch do it. We'll just make her fingers look all weird like Steve Ditko, Doctor Strange, and everything will be great. Yeah, it's pretty much what it is. I yeah. don't have any other comments. And my last comment was, 
and it was kind of what I was frowning at when you were ramping up the issue is that the Wraith's science explanation makes absolutely no sense. Well, they're basically saying we built this starship uh, with your crappy technology, and so it's not very good, and that ship's very unstable, and it's going to blow up. Which, but, they, but they say that it's going to blow up and like take half the planet with it, which doesn't make any sense. No, at that all. doesn't make sense. If it's our technology, we don't have any technology that can do that. So plus, if they know it's that bad, why are they using it? Because do- the Doctor Catherwraith is going to blow up too. They were desperate to get off that planet. Well, they're like, we don't want the sister to kill us. We'd rather die in a fiery explosion <laughs> than just kill ourselves. At least we tried. No wonder you guys can't take over the planet. No wonder. No wonder Rom is able to knock you. Or whatever. <laughs> you got beat by a toy. <laughs> uh, bullpen bulletins. A shooter announces that Marvel is teaming up with a company called Adventure International and famous game designer Scott Adams to create Marvel video games. I had a few of these and they were awful. Yeah, it's funny. I was. I would have bet money that that didn't happen, but of course it did happen. These are the Quest Probe series. I but, had one that was a Spider-Man one. It had something to do with Mysterio and Madam Web, and it was ridiculous. It won't happen for very long because in 1985 that Adventure International goes out of business. Yeah, they go bankrupt. Yeah, I think they only put out two or three. There was a Hulk one. There was a Spider-Man and something else. There's also a letter in here from Herb Trimp that is really long for no real payoff. In the bullpen bulletins? Yeah, it's right there. Oh, the beginning, yeah. And then Virginia Remedia complains. Oh, right. It's like a column and a half complaining about everyone in the bullpen. What about the letters page? There's a letter from someone named Dave Letterman. I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> well, I don't know what he's talking about either because he says uh, "fine job," so obviously he didn't read it. Uh, but yeah, David Lemon writes in and gives a thumb up, thumbs up to the assistant editor, assistant editors month issue. Uh, the special announcements box. They mention an upcoming West Coast Avengers limited series. I guess we'll have to talk about that at oh, some yeah. point. We'll be reading that. What's that coming up in like two or three episodes? We get that? Yeah, actually, not too many episodes. We'll yeah. be doing that. Two, I think, three episodes from now, we do the West Coast Avengers. We also get a letter from Ned Harper of Hudson, Ohio, who says he's the president of the. David Letterman Exclusive Club. All right, so first of all, what the hell's an exclusive club? Second of all, sounds like he made that up. And uh, second of all, he thinks Letterman was just as funny in the comic as on the screen, which makes me think, why would you watch him if you think that's as funny as he ever has been? <laughs> he thinks David Letterman should be an honorary Avenger. Actually, he makes more sense on the team than Wolverine. Uh, if Rick Jones can be an honorary Avenger, then yeah, sure. I don't have a problem making David Letterman an honorary Avenger. That actually makes some some amount of sense. Does he have to sleep with Cap? <laughs> Oh, that's horrible. I think that they're trying to answer the letters also in this letters page. They seem like they're trying to answer them in the style of like David Letterman answering listener questions. It does not work. MVP? Captain Marvel seemed most useful. Uh, she piloted a boat, she scouted ahead, she took watch, and she punched some wraiths. That's a good point. I, I didn't think anyone really stood out, but I, I gave it to Vision because he um, he shows that desk who's, who's in charge. <laughs> Useless character? Uh, all Star Fox did was briefly take his shirt off. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Did you have a best quote taken out of context? It was all I could do to grow back to normal. <laughs> She's Louise. Does um, it make sense? Avengers level threat. No. No, not four dire race. Maybe an entire race, but not just these losers. A race of wraiths? <laughs> Final grade? I gave it a C. They made the wraiths seem like such a big deal for the last few issues, and so far I'm completely unimpressed. Uh, I actually gave it a B plus, but it could have <laughs> just go. it could have just been that I was excited because we had villains this issue. Maybe you knew I was gonna give it a C and you just gave it a half grade higher. <laughs> uh I was like, we've got villains and we've got action, and we haven't had those the last few issues, so I'm 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 down. Let's move on to the rest 
rest of the story then because it gets so much more exciting. The rest of the story. Issue 245 from July of 1984. Roger Stern and Al Milgram present Bombshells. It wasn't that long ago that I was singing the praises of Wasp's newfound strength, her confident leadership, her unchained energy, and now we find her accidentally trapped on a fleeing rocket, woozy from the G-force knocking her into a control panel, and needing desperately to be rescued by someone. Seems like as soon as she had that mini reunion with Pym a few issues back, her career began to spiral back down to useless. Oh well. This issue begins with Captain Marvel zipping up to the rocket to help our former fearless leader. She bursts through the front of the ship as bright light, making a mental note to apologize to poor Dr. Cather later, but as we soon discover, Dr. Cather isn't what he seems. The good doctor blasts Captain Marvel into seeming nothingness and morphs into a yellowish blob, taking a pot shot at Wasp as well. Lucky for our insect lady, the ship's engines are having some trouble, and a resulting rumble knocks the gun away from this new wraith. Wasp manages to secure the firearm, though she stays at insect size for no apparent reason, which makes it difficult for the alien to take her seriously. Plus, the dire wraith correctly points out that Wasp can't shoot it because she'll only doom herself as well. So, since we're at a stalemate, let's see what's going on in the rest of the world. Ugh. Quicksilver and Lockjaw have shown up at the door of some doctor in Transia looking for his former nursemaid. He speaks to the bedridden bovine, who tells him that her current predicament is the work of Magneto. Quicksilver shakes a fist in a background of nothingness and vows revenge. Back on the unstable spaceship, the dire wraith gives us a plot recap involving sisters and drive generators and antimatter and really, really nonsensical science. While Wasp and the alien argue, we discover that Captain Marvel is still alive, having turned into X-rays right before being fired upon. She uses her powers to radio a signal back to Earth and Vision announces their plan of attack. He and Star Fox will go up to the ship, while Cap stays behind to guard the captive wraiths from their vindictive sister. Cap and General Bridges head to the lab to check on their prisoners, but when Cap enters the room, he finds another set of dire wraiths working on the now-dead captives. Before Cap has a chance to react, the good general transforms into a sister wraith and clutches him in a bear hug. Another wraith approaches, ready to suck out Cap's existence, but as it strikes, he enacts some of those sweet gymnastics moves he taught Rick Jones late at night and runs off to hide from the other baddies. Up in space, Vision boards the ship. The wraith balks at Vision taking over, insisting he can't possibly know how to pilot the thing. That's when Starfire pops in to take the controls. Sensing he's in a no-win situation and fearing a return to Earth where he'll be pursued by his sisters, the dire wraith transforms into a fat dinosaur and attacks. <laughs> Star Fox easily contains him, but the wraith reaches past and pushes the airlock button in an attempt to suck them all out into cold, dark space. Hilariously, the wraith is the only one who sucks. With the ship's drive shut off and safe, the team climbs into their Quinjet and heads back to Earth, where Cap is still hiding from his potential captors. He whispers a signal into his communicator watch and starts bouncing around the facility like beast on crack, taking out alien after alien before finally getting into a position where the sealed security door is blown into the remaining baddies back by some form of magic or sorcery or, oh, it's just Scarlet Witch. I had forgotten all about her. Blah blah blah, the dire wraiths are all destroyed, Nick Fury drops by to say thanks, but S.H.I.E.L.D. will be taking over the wraith hunting from here on out. This seems to quietly concern Vision and his secret plans, and we end on a reminder that Hawkeye is still out in L.A. What a strange last page. The end. A roll call for this issue is Captain Marvel, Star Fox, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Captain America, and Wasp. We also see Quicksilver, Lockjaw, and Bova for no apparent reason. We get a page of Nick Fury at the end, one panel of Hawkeye talking out loud to Los Angeles, and our villains are once again a mixed bag of dire wraiths. Uh, Mockingbird also talks out loud to Oh, the, does she speak? She's, she's, yeah, she speaks, and she's yeah. right there beside. He's not necessarily talking to Los Angeles, he's talking to his wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of surprised that 
Vision is allowing Captain America to be so bossy in these issues, considering how he seems so intent on keeping control. I think Captain America is one of the people that he has to impress. I was just going to say, we know he wants Captain... He has said he wants Captain America's buy-in on his plan. Yeah. So I guess that's why. But... He's given him a little bit more leash there. You know I like the Wasp. You keep trying to. But seriously, you talk about how kind of useless she is in much of this issue. And then she gets a hold of a gun, and she's going to use it on Dr. Cather. Why is she still wasp size? Yes. She, she's She's... she's struggling to hold the gun she can't reach the trigger unless she's going to hit it with her ankle why there's no reason why she doesn't change back to her full size to hold the gun like a normal person and shoot this diorath in the head i am not sure why the diorath is even recoiling from her she can't possibly shoot him uh it's so frustrating her and she's so close to him and can barely hold onto the gun how difficult would it be for him to take the gun from her just smack it away from her drives me crazy wasp captain america gets uh, fooled by the ju- diarrhea that's that's um general bridges general bridges and you know what should have tipped him off the mustache well yes <laughs> but he says the um general bridges says to cap general bridges says to cap our space scientists already taking numbers for a chance to inspect them space scientists <laughs> what exactly is a space scientist probably sounded foolproof to captain america yeah captain oh space scientists <laughs> oh, they're good. my favorite kind of scientists sure, yeah, yeah. i was just like come on i have no other comments about this issue i really don't you were so excited about last issue and all the action and now you remembered oh right i will say one thing about the bullpen bulletins before we get into anything else they are finally printing it at a readable font the last it's been so tiny for so long in this issue they have ramped the font up so you can actually read it anything else you want to mention here uh shooter assures us there will be no price increase anytime soon uh, we get a bit more info about the upcoming quest probe computer games and comics this has nothing to do with the avengers nothing in here none of it now what about the letters page the letters are fairly evenly split between people who enjoyed the return of spider woman and those that wanted her to remain dead uh, between these reactions and the the ones we saw when She-Hulk first joined the team, it's hard to ignore the level of misogyny going through Marvel Comics in the early 80s. You know, it, these letters, Larry, we've talked about how the letters just really haven't been interesting, but Larry W. Morgan of that's Dix, a, Illinois. That's the really long letter there, right? Yeah, and he says in his letter, talking about issue number 240, which was the first part of the Jessica Drew two-parter, he says, all of the characters played an accurate role and made a realistic appearance. The hell does that mean? What is an accurate role and a realistic appearance? Even the ghost of Magnus? <laughs> yeah, apparently a very realistic appearance. Uh, I don't I, I think he's trying to say that all the characters were their personalities were on model. Everything made sense. Yeah, I think. Except but, that it didn't. Well, first you can you can argue with the accuracy of his of his statement, but then to say an accurate role in a realistic appearance just seemed it seemed very odd to me. Mm. We also find out that apparently David Letterman mentioned the Assistant Editors Month comic on his TV show. Yeah, I'm sure he probably held it up to the camera. And that uh there's of the plug for the West Coast Avengers. Why oh, was that a thing? I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's coming down the pike. Question of the month, Jason. Who's your favorite comedian? They really like these favorite questions. I don't know if you've noticed that. I have seen so many recently, but one that I can go back to every time and always laugh at is probably Louis C.K. When I was younger, I watched a ton of stand-up comedy. I don't anymore. I don't watch a lot of stand-up comedy at all. I think we've all. had this discussion before. So it's difficult for me to pick a comedian. You know, it, it's easy for me to pick a comedic actor. You know, we were just talking uh, before we started recording about Nisi Nash and how much I love her and she I think she's hilarious. But she doesn't do stand-up comedy. I don't find her funny at all. Well, you wouldn't. You hate women. Did we talk about the misogyny <laughs> and the... <laughs> Where did that come from? Um... No, no, you wouldn't. You hate fun, but oh, that's not true at all. But yeah, so I, so for me to pick a, a stand-up, com- I mean, the last, the last stand-up set I think I saw was a, a Donald Glover's Netflix special, which I liked, but you know. 
I just uh, wasn't his best work. I saw Donald Glover do do comedy. I've seen. I him. don't think his stand up is his best work. Chris Hardwick, John Mulaney, Patton Oswalt. I did see John Mulaney's also stand up comedy special, which I liked. Hannibal Burris. But it's hard for me to pick a favorite comedian. Who do they pick? Roger Stern picks Groucho Marx. Did he do stand up? Mm, no. Well, I mean, he's. I mean, he's a comedian, but back then, though, well, I mean, I guess it was stand up. There was just a lot of performing too, where people would just do a show and pause, yeah, or they'd be on other people's talk shows or on radio and do skits and stuff. So I've never really seen a lot of. Marks. I mean, this is like so. in the 1920s, right? That's when we're talking. Yeah, 1984. <laughs> Al Milgram, and you got to give Al Milgram credit. Al Milgram says, Jerry Seinfeld, watch for this guy, which in 1984 it was four years before his show debuted on NBC. Good call. So, yeah, he actually, good with that. Joe Sinnott says, Buster Keaton. Again, uh, you know, I mean, he's a comedian, I guess. I how guess it- old are these people? <laughs> Jim Novak says Pee Wee Herman, which isn't really a comedian <laughs> that, either. That did but. not age well. Juliana Ferreter says Mel Brooks. Who's that? Who's she's Ju- the colorist. She's she's what? taking Christy Shields' Wait, place. What? Where's Christy Shields? Uh, Mel Brooks though is a comedian. Well, he used to do stuff with um, Carl Reiner. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. The 2,000-year-old man, wasn't that the two of them did that skit? Uh, Mike Carlin says Michael Palin, which, I mean, you can always pick anybody from Monty Python. You're going to yeah, go very yeah. wrong. Uh, Mark Grunewald says Jerome Howard. I don't know who that is. That's um, uh, oh, from one the of Three the Three Stooges. Stooges yeah. Oh, good grief. That's the real name of, I can't remember which one. Is that Shemp? Probably. <laughs> Three Stooges, who cares? And Jim Star- Star- Jim Starlin. Jim Shooter says, does anyone really have a favorite? Com- <laughs> did he say that? Yes, he did. Oh, my God. That's what, three, four months in a row now? Except for sport. He'll pick football for that, but... <laughs> It doesn't do. Does anybody really have a favorite sport? MVP. I gave it to Captain Marvel for sort of helping to rescue Wasp. I gave it to Captain America for basically leading the team while the Vision lets him, and then for basically taking on all the dire race in the in the base by himself. The Scarlet Witch comes in at the very end, but useless character. Scarlet Witch. Thanks for finally showing up at the end. <laughs> uh, Wasp. Learn how to handle a gun. <laughs> Man, you hate women, don't you? <laughs> Best quote taken out of context. I hope you'll be taking proper precautions. Avengers level threat. After hyping them up so much, not. Really. No, you still need more numbers for them to really be a threat. Yeah. Final grade. I gave it a C plus. I gave it a B. I think it's a solid story, but the villain, the villains are the weak point here. Yeah, definitely. Alrighty. Uh, on our next episode, Vision and Scarlet Witch have tea with the Regans. Hawkeye and Mockingbird adjust to West Coast living, and Star Fox and Wasp involuntarily visit the Eternals in Olympia for a big dumb history lesson. Looking forward to that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's going to be good stuff. If you would like to get in touch with us for whatever reason, always looking for good recipes, I guess. Uh, our email is mail at avenginghour.com. We have Twitter and Instagram accounts at Avenging Hour. We have a Facebook page and our website is avenginghour.com. It has like four O's in it. Anything else to add? No, I got nothing. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye.